Genre. Hello, and welcome back to The Doctor's Companion Presents Doctor Who, The Long Way Round, the weekly podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Cass Fredrickson. Today on the show, we'll be discussing The Reign of Terror, the first doctor's ninth story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So The Reign of Terror... Yeah, let's see. So we have two missing episodes, though they have both been animated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a plus, and I think a first for us on the show <laughs> of actually like <laughs> having the animated one available to us at the time of recording. Well um, animated too, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of reminds me. It reminded me of something, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It's a little archery. Reminded I me guess. of archer for sure. Yeah, a little archery because it has uh, like a. CG quality to it. It kind of remember. It kind of reminded me of. Did, did did either of you ever play L.A. Noir? Sure. No. You know how like it was like a depression era, like nineteen thirties L.A. detective game, mm-hmm. where you would like go out to like the the country and, and and like interrogate like a guy in the country to see like did you see anybody driving out late at night? And he'd be like no, <laughs> and then he would make like a weird like doubtful face and the game would be like do you trust him yeah you'd be like no i guess not uh, rockstar was like well i guess we won't ever try anything new ever again um that's true after that <laughs> oh, boy. uh but there but... were there were there were close-ups of characters being shifty and it reminded me of elaine noir yeah there was a lot of close-ups <laughs> like it's the thing that i find interesting about these animations is like sometimes they try to recreate the feel of the original show of like what it looked like you know mm-hmm. if you were watching it in live action and then other times here they're like let's pace this thing up and it's just like cut 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 and it's like i don't think this is what it looked like when it was airing <laughs> it low-key made me anxious because they would cut to a close-up of someone like sitting down or yeah. like picking up a mug and i'm like oh no is that was oh I, yeah was poison is like, is, yeah what <laughs> yeah absolutely um so the reign of terror uh this is the season finale 
of season one of Doctor Who. Uh, and when they were shooting it, um, they were not sure if they were going to get renewed, um, which is a crazy thing to think about. Of Like, there was a time where Doctor Who was like, I don't know. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end of Doctor Who. It's just this season of the show. Um, it's kind of a grand tradition of the show, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, but like this early on, you know, mm-hmm. it just would be crazy to be like, oh, yeah, there was like that weird like children's show in 1963, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that lasted one season. It'd just be so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so they weren't sure if they were going to get renewed. And um, as a result, their contract with their normal studio home, the sort of like rundown studio home that we saw in an adventure in space and time, um, that like junky place that had like leaks and stuff. Um, they, uh, their contract with that ran out. Um, so they brought, they had to bring in another production into that studio. So they were floating during the production of this where um, they were like sort of going between a bunch of, studios um trying to find a new home for the show were it to continue uh and the first studio that they went to for the first few episodes was this weird weirdly shaped like narrow studio space that didn't really work for the type of show that they were where you need to have like you know alien planets and stuff like that um and mm-hmm. you if you watch like the early episodes it is like all very um narrow alleyways and like you know when they're out in the in the uh, country at the beginning it's just like trees right directly in front of like a wall that is like a back lot like a like a background you know so it's all very mm-hmm. narrow um all the stuff in the in the country kind of reminded me of uh like watching south park or something because it's just so like there's no depth to anything you know (laughs) Um, and yeah it's because they shot in this like really narrow uh studio space and then they moved to a different studio uh, space for the uh, like for episodes three and four and then yet another studio space for episodes five and six um the actor who played ian uh pre-recorded his his two scenes in episodes two and three so he could be the last of the actors to take a vacation. Um, and uh, so he got two weeks off right at the tail end of the show, which is very silly. Uh, but uh, Later, losers. Yeah. <laughs> and he had to come back for like three weeks and then, and then okay. the show was on hiatus. Um, but yeah, so while they were shooting this, they weren't sure if the show was going to end or if they were going to be able to keep going. Um, and eventually while they were shooting like episode five, they finally got, the renewal um, for another 13 episodes uh, with an option for 13 after that. And so the show would uh, go on. Um, But uh, it is interesting because as we'll talk about next week, when we talk about episode six, it does end in a way that feels like, and the adventure continues. Thanks for watching, you know, uh, and it's it does. It's like, oh, I guess if it ended here, I guess that's just how it would end. It's like, you know, and Dr. Samuel Beckett never left back home. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and Ian never returned back to Earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they just kept on, you know, doing adventures. Um, 
the uh the writer of this episode um who was uh Dennis Spooner um he was a friend of Terry Nation uh creator of the Daleks um and uh Terry Nation was like you got to get this guy to write Doctor Who this guy there is no one who writes better science fiction than this guy. Um, and, uh, and the, <laughs> the producer, the, the story editor at the time, uh, Whitaker, um, was like, oh, okay, great. Hey, so, um, I need you to write a historical. And this guy was like, what? <laughs> I write science fiction. Yeah. Why are you making me write a historical? Um, and so, uh, so they made him, he was like, here's a list of historicals that we want of like time periods that we would like a story set in. And so he chose the French revolution, um, and, uh, wrote, wrote the story. That's kind of it. There's not like, you know, not like a ton of like fun behind the scenes stuff with this one. Um, I, I will say there is a bit about, uh, the director shifting at the last minute. And uh, they brought in a director who is fresh out of like BBC directing school, um, a man named uh, Henrik Hirsch. And uh, he was a foreigner. Um, and William Hartnell did not like him very much uh, because William Hartnell apparently had issues with foreigners. Um, I don't know. He was an old man in the early 60s. Uh, so. <laughs> Huh. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't even know. I'm not even ent- entirely sure what kind of foreigner that uh, Hen- Henrik Hirsch was. With a name like that, it seems like he was German. Um, mm. So that might be what uh, his issue was, William Hartnell's issue. He was probably a World War II vet and right. the didn't director, like the Germans very much. Yeah, the crew would see William Hartnell start to assume an old-timey boxer stance and they'd have to like call cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't think you're far off, uh, to be perfectly honest, (laughs) um, but Verity Lambert had to like, so basically the stress of the star of the show, giving him the cold shoulder and not taking any of his direction, um, and just being kind of a dick to him, uh, plus uh, the workload of Doctor Who was very like way higher than any other show that he had directed up to this point. Um, and, uh, and so he actually in episode three, um, he collapsed while, uh, directing an episode, uh, and was taken to the hospital. Somebody else had to finish directing episode three. Um, they can't get confirmation on who did that because I think it was just like literally just some crew member that they could find. Um, but, uh, someone else finished episode three and then he came back for episodes, uh, four, five, and six. But uh, and then after that, Verity Lambert like basically like went up to William Hartner was like, "Can you knock it off? <laughs> like, stop giving him such a hard time." <laughs> and uh, and so William Hartner was like, he softened to him after that. Um, but, oh, so uh, post post he collapsed. He came back from collapsing, and William yes. Hartnell was still was still being unprofessional. And at that point, Verity Lambert was like, "Dude, yeah." <laughs> right that's oh my that's god crazy. yeah yeah i just imagine i yeah i mean i, I can imagine that like you know a, a world war ii vet wouldn't take too kindly to germans um but uh it's too it's you know it's too bad because this poor guy he i think he was like fairly young too um you know just coming out of the the 
BBC TV directing school. Um, mm-hmm. He had only directed like two other things before this. Uh, so he's pretty fresh and like this, this old guy is just like you stupid German, <laughs> you know, and it's just like that sucks. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's neither here nor there. But do either of you know in what capacity William Hartnell served during the war? Uh, I'm not even sh- I'm Google machine. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, um, you know, he, he, he was, he would have already been well into adulthood, even at world war two start. Uh, he joined the British army, but had a nervous breakdown and that resulted in his discharge less than a year later. Wow. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it, it's uh yeah, I get it, it's perspective that like, you know, history like that kind of goes into people's lifetimes, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Jeez Louise. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that stuff like the bigotry thing, like it 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 I don't I don't like it, but uh that's what happens when you train all your soldiers to hate a type of person. Um and and only kill that type of person. Because you're at war, you know. Right. It's not. It's not like that brainwashing just goes away after the war, you know. So, mm. it's uh, it's understandable, even if I don't like it. Um, but anyway, uh, do you know if this director would ever return to Doctor Who during the Troughton years, or was this his only time directing the show? I think this was his only time, um, directing the show. I don't think he. Yeah, he only directed this. He never came back. Oh, the director is Hungarian. Hungarian. Okay. Mm. Yes. Um, hmm. Like Bella Hungarian Ligerson. immigrant. Yeah. Yeah. This is the only one that he did. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, in any event. Um, okay. So. The Reign of Terror. This is considered like one of the best episodes of the first doctor's run um or best stories of the first doctor's run um and so much so that it's it's actually there's like a a scene in adventure in space and time where uh where the doctor is portrayed like wearing his little outfit that he he gets in this story um so they're like in the midst of filming this episode in a scene in that um in adventure in space and time so yeah it's a pretty iconic uh story and uh i am curious what you guys think of it um nick i know this is your first time watching it so uh what were your thoughts i had a great time yeah i was really impressed by this i you know the episode is called reign of terror mm-hmm. and i i was a really big fan of i just loved the the tension and dread and paranoia that these characters go through and how it affects the team Mm -hmm. in different ways. And this was the first time I really saw like meaningful conversations between the companions and the doctor about like how the adventure was affecting their like worldview and making decisions. And, and I was really engaged by the, um, the French revolution drama and the, like the espionage. And so, yeah, I was, I was really riveted by it even, and hats off to the uh, reanimators. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Cass, uh do you consider this a, a a classic of the first doctor's era um uh 
no. Um, oh. I actually was surprised by how uh, little I liked this this time around. Um, and maybe like I didn't actually care for the animation. Um, the the way that the eyes were like CG <laughs> kind of freaked me out. <laughs> the way they would um, dart around. Yeah. Um, there was something about like the style of it that I was just like. That's weird and creepy, and I'm not a fan of it. Um, but I do, I do appreciate that the animation exists because the last time I watched this, it was like you know the slideshow like mm-hmm. reconstruction thing with the like garbled audio. Um, mm-hmm. I I like parts of this, but overall, I was kind of bored. <laughs> um, I can and yeah. Oh, what were you gonna that. say? I was going to say that yeah. like, I could I could see being bored by this because it is a lot of like just like moving pieces around. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the the French Revolution as like a topic doesn't really interest me all that much, so I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, look at these assholes <laughs> being terrible to each other. <laughs> is, is this is this the same? Is this like Les Misérables? Is this like the same? Is that the I think same? this is after? Okay, this is this is uh, the the Reign of Terror took place. During the 1790s, right. so from our perspective, America, that's about 20 years post like the American Revolution. When does Les Miserables and take place? I think it's like a couple decades before. I'm going to look up when I Les Miserables. Right. Okay. I'm, okay. No, uh, I'm no historian, as any listener to the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean season <laughs> of franchiseography will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I'll look it up. I would, uh, you, I, I, I agree with you, Cass. Um, I was not oh, yeah? into this this time. Yeah, I wasn't into it. I, if, if I heard one person, one more person say citizen, I might've jumped off a bridge. Uh, I, I just, <laughs> oh, please. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, well, you, you spark something that now makes sense because I remember they, yeah, they, they, they constantly refer to each other as citizen. Mm-hmm. And yes. it felt very dystopian sci-fi. Yes. Yes. And so now knowing that this was written by someone who was really good at writing sci-fi, that kind of like clicked in a weird way. Oh, true. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I found it mostly irritating. Um, I think Susan might be at her absolute worst in this story. Um, she is just terrible. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's. <laughs> It's, you know, the only, my favorite parts of this are the doctor outsmarting Frenchman. Um, mm, outside he... of, th- those are all the best scenes. Outside of those mm. scenes, I think everything else is a wash. Like, I'm just uh, kind of bored. Um, but I love the doctor, like, <laughs> like outsmarting, uh, like, everyone that he comes into contact with. Like, a, like, like a. He's old... a little chaos goose. Yeah, like an old yes. folk tale, like like a he's just you know? like ambling down the road, outsmarting people and bopping them on the head. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I like everything with the doctor in this is great. Um, everything else I think kind of sucks, but I don't know. Um, I think Cass, we're in the minority on that because uh, yeah, people seem to really love this story. Um, I remember liking it a lot more the first time, but that was like. 10 years ago now or something like that. So I don't know. Right. Right. 
Um, um, so th- three things that I want I want to say to to what add to what Scott said or okay. to what we've been talking mm-hmm. about. A Les Misérables, the novel, was first published in 1862. Mm-hmm. So that's sometime after, but I don't know. But it oh. is said in the past. I'm trying to figure out when the story takes place. It starts like literally the novel starts in like 1812, but it's Les Mis, so it like or not 1812. Uh, oh, whatever, 1815. Oh, yeah. So I think it is after most of this. Um, yeah, this is just like what franchiseography is like. Uh, I 1832 I is is Les Mis. So oh, it's after this. Yes. Great. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, right. I don't think I don't think Carol. I I don't think uh, Susan is in this enough or does this enough to be terrible. She's kind of just like unconscious for a lot of it. She's. We'll like, talk about it. I've got plenty to <laughs> complain about. Um, but uh, <laughs> let's, let's. She's either she's either sick on a couch or in prison. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. You seem to not think that this is a a bad thing. I'm telling you that I. Oh, I oh, think oh, that, oh. I think this sucks. <laughs> I, I I I think our miscommunication is like you don't. The character of Susan isn't being terrible. What she her arc in this episode is terrible. Is that what you're saying? Um, I mean that's the same thing because she's a fictional character. But yes. Um, okay, well, I, I thought you meant like she I, was I don't being think the abrupt. actress is being bad. I think that the character sucks. Um, well, you know, like when a character is making bad decisions, that's what I thought you meant by being terrible. Oh, oh, I see. Well, I don't know. Um, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Okay. Okay. I, I, I don't want to get into it now because we're not talking about an individual uh, episode. But let's do that. Let's get into um, episode one. The Reign of Terror, Part One: A Land of Fear. Written by Dennis Spooner, directed by Henrik Hirsch, produced by Verity Lambert, air date 8th of August, 1964. The Doctor and Susan attempt to bring Ian and Barbara back home to 1960s England, but upon leaving the TARDIS, they learn from a young boy in the woods that they're actually in France. The foursome continue to explore and eventually discover an abandoned house where they find 18th century furniture and clothes, as well as papers bearing the signature of Robespierre, chief orchestrator of government during the Reign of Terror, leading them to believe they are actually in the year 1794. They deduce the farmhouse is being used as a staging post in an escape chain for counter-revolutionaries. While the doctor is searching upstairs, the others are accosted by two counter-revolutionaries who demand to know which side of the revolution they are on. Suddenly, a band of revolutionary soldiers, pro-revolutionary soldiers, surround the house and demand their collective surrender. The two counter-revolutionaries give themselves up, thinking their surrender will spare them the guillotine, but they are both killed. Thinking they are also counter-revolutionaries, the pro-revolutionary soldiers capture Ian, Barbara, and Susan and set fire to the farmhouse, unaware the doctor is inside. The travelers stare at the house as the roof falls in and the doctor lies unconscious on the floor. So... I our last season of of Long Way Around was so long ago that I forgot that the last story ended with Ian Barbara being like, "Well, I think it's about time to hit the dusty trail, um, and uh, and and move on." I'd forgotten that they were like ready to what leave. What even was the last one? Um, I guess I could. I don't have quick. that. <laughs> I don't have that handy. Um, okay. Oh, it's the sensorites. 
Oh, yeah. oh, the aliens in the PJs. Okay, I remember. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. They were trying to get into the ship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um They were trapped like they were trapped outside in a hallway for like a few minutes and it's <laughs> <That's laughs> oh, all coming back to me. Um so Ian and Barbara want to go home. Susan's really upset about it. The doctor's really upset about it. Uh, but he's like, fine, I'll take you home. Here, you're home. Get out. And they're like, mm. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look like home. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we should trust you. Uh, I think you <laughs> should probably just come with us to make sure, uh, which is which is pretty funny. I just love their little asides, like Ian and Barbara's uh, asides. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something, there's something about Ian and Barbara that I find so funny where they're just like, I mean, we're obviously smarter than this guy. <laughs> like this, this guy's crazy. This guy, this guy's <laughs> crazy, and his stupid little granddaughter. Uh, <laughs> it's they have a weird like it's us against them. Yes, <laughs> it's a weird dynamic. It's a very weird dynamic. And uh, then, like with the doctor, it seems kind of like, oh, well, why would you want to leave? Come on, stay. And Susan is just blissfully unaware of any tension, and is yeah. just <laughs> confused as to why they would even want to leave. Right. Um, so they land in a farm, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I I love that like this random kid runs past, and they just grab him and hold him, <laughs> and then he just like kicks one of them and runs away. And I was like, "Why is he so afraid of us?" I was like, "Because you grabbed a random <laughs> child, <laughs> like a little like a, like a street urchin." Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Likely Miz, he remi- he reminded me a lot of Gabrage, the little yeah. kid in Miz. Yeah, and his name is Jean Pierre, which we find out in the next episode. But that's the most. That's just like they're like they weren't even trying when they thought of like the a French name for like some random child. I don't know Jean Pierre, whatever. Maybe he <laughs> gave them a fake name. Oh, maybe maybe he gave them the equivalent of like John, the French equivalent of John Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, he tells them that they're like, they're like 10 kilometers away from Paris, from Paris. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the doctor's like, see, did pretty good. Right. Like, you <laughs> know, all close. things considered, that's pretty, that's pretty close to a major city. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, great. Except that kid looks like he's from the 18th century. Oh man. Uh, there's a great moment where right before they set off, the doctor's standing and he says, Well, we're gonna stand here talking all night. And then he just gets yeah. to walking. Yeah. He's really sassy in this one. He is. Um, they find a farm and realize that they are in the midst of the French Revolution, to which Susan says, That's my grandfather's favorite period in all of human history. Which makes me wonder, is that just the, is that, is that the doctor's favorite period? Or does each doctor, each regeneration have a new favorite period of human history? According to the TARDIS wiki, uh, they, uh, this, like, like, um, among the, like, influences that this episode has is when Moffat and Russell T. Davies, it, like, influenced this during the woman and the girl in the fireplace. Mm. With how, like, enthusiastic he is. About like French oh, history and stuff. Yeah, right. That's cool. Huh. 
Interesting. That's fun. Um, so yeah, so he loves the French Revolution. Uh, the doctor just <laughs> loves people getting decapitated. It's his favorite thing. Um, just who knows how many times <laughs> he's gone back in time to watch one. Yeah. <laughs> Line them up and chop them off. That's what I say. Oh my god! There's the old man again. <laughs> he's always here with a smile on his face. <laughs> um, Sometimes he's got a child with him, and I say that's a shame. <laughs> um. So then there's there's some rebels that are in this house, and they find out that they're basically in a safe house. Um, they've like stumbled upon one and, Mm -hmm. uh, and then soldiers attack and set it on fire. Um, the doctor falls through, he like falls through a hole, right. And like gets knocked unconscious. And then he's like in, Mm -hmm. in the house while it's on fire. One of the soldiers knocks him on the back of the head. Oh, knocks him on the back of the head. That's okay. Yeah. Cause they don't know who he is. is Probably why, which is probably why he just knocks people on the back of the head the whole rest of the episode. Because it happened once, yeah. and he's like, that's a great idea. Okay. <laughs> I should be doing that all the time. Yeah. There's a few uh, there... times that I'm surprised he doesn't kill somebody when he does that. Uh, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, so of the two rebels, there's like a brave one and more of like an anxious, freaky out one. And yeah. mm-hmm. when the brave one is the first one to get shot, that was my like, oh, whoa, I didn't. I, I, it's usually the shifty guy in these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. And is that the guy that Ian meets later on that, that had been shot? Or is that a different guy? No, that's yeah, a, different a different guy. guy. Yes. Uh, okay. It's different. I, I, I have trouble keeping track because they all look the same to me in this. No, because the guy that Ian meets was from, from England and the guy that got shot in this episode was like very French. Oh, okay. The, the, the one that gets shot is a friend of the people that Barbara meets later. Yes. So there are soldiers. They're all really mean French mm-hmm. soldiers. And uh, they, they kidnap everybody, take them prisoner, and then like set the house on fire. And the doctor's in there. And he's like yelling, hey, <laughs> the house is on fire. I'm in here. So, <laughs> But uh, the little boy sees all of this happening from the bushes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's now. So, like, I guess that takes us to episode two. The Reign of Terror, Part Two Guests of Madame Guillotine. Written by Dennis Spooner, directed by Henrik Hirsch, produced by Verity Lambert. Air date 15th of August, 1964. Barbara, Ian, and Susan are taken to Paris and sentenced to death for being traitors to the revolution. They are swiftly imprisoned, where the warden in charge tries to make a deal to help the two girls escape, but Barbara doesn't trust him and turns down his offer. Barbara finds water damage to the wall of their cell and surmises that it may be soft enough that she and Susan might be able to dig out a brick from the wall to escape. But when rats begin to infest their cell through the hole in the wall, they decide to stop their escape plan. In another cell, Ian is sharing space with a dying man named Webster. Webster tells Ian that he has been sent over from England to find a man named James Sterling with information that will help England win the war with France. Webster makes Ian promise to seek out Sterling and then dies. Later, a nobleman named Lamatra comes to inspect the body of Webster and orders Ian to tell him whether Webster said anything to him before he died. Ian says no, but the jailer overheard them talking, so Lamatra takes Ian's name off of the execution list. 
Meanwhile, the doctor is saved from the fire by the young boy from the woods who informs him that his companions have been taken to the conciergerie prison in Paris. On the way there, the doctor encounters the leader of a chain gang who forces the doctor to join in the manual work. The doctor creates and executes a plan involving fake treasure that results in the greedy leader getting hit in the back of the head while attempting to uncover it, allowing the doctor to escape and continue on toward Paris. However, it may be too late as the jailer comes to Barbara and Susan's cell and informs them that it is time for their execution. As they are led out to the wagon that will take them to their death, Ian looks out his prison window in shock. Um, but uh, yeah, he saves the doctor, Jean-Pierre, mm-hmm. the little boy. And I just love that as soon as he saves the doctor, the doctor has no time for this kid. He's like, all right, well, all right, thank well. you. See you later. <laughs> Please, sir. Uh, no, no, no. Like, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't go with you because I'm the man of the house now. And he's like, oh, yes, right, of course, man of the house. All right, anyway. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> it's, it's really funny to watch because I, I do one of the key characteristics I attribute to the doctor is empathy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> that, that his first incarnation kind of just brushes people off or her, knocks them unconscious and <laughs> just leaves them forever. Oh, my I God. like it. Um, there's this bit where the doctor is. He's just like, well, I'll be on my way. And then he just like starts. <laughs> just starts a montage of just like walking through the countryside to Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the all of that on location shooting that is someone doing an impression of William Hartnell that is not William Hartnell walking because they were like he's got he's shooting the sensorites we don't have time to do this uh location shoot with him so mm-hmm. somebody went and like watched him walk around set while filming the sensorites and then just did an impression of him for the <laughs> for these it's really good production show. yeah it is he nails it yeah you did a good job. Um, I never Remind- once didn't think it was it wasn't William Hartnell. So Mm-mm. yeah, yeah. It reminded me of the the grandfather Uncle Waldo in the Aristocats. How uh, they would just like <laughs> walk down the road and he had kind of like that little uh, yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah. It's a long uh, walk too. This. Yes. Meanwhile, you got Barbara, Ian, and Susan all finding out that they're going to be executed via guillotine. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is which was the style at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guests of Madame Guillotine, they called it. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, so they're they're up they're they're relatively upset about that. Um, the doctor runs into a chain gang, and is forced to work a farm. Um, and then we get this great sequence where he's. He outsmarts this guy, but he's like, hey, look over there, steals the money, throws the money in the dirt, and is like, hey, I found money. <laughs> <laughs> and then bashes him over the head. So uh. the but the way that it's shot, listener, is you know, the 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 guy, the prison guard, is like looking at where the go- the coin is. The doctor raises like a shovel. The camera pans to one of the other prisoners, and then you hear, and I want to be clear with my words, you hear, like, a thunk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You hear, like, a, you don't hear a bonk. 
or a you hear like a like a really ugly like plunking sound and then yeah. the act the actor the prisoner like squints he grimaces in disgust yeah. and so my brain was like oh the doctor just like caved that guy's skull in yeah <laughs> that's definitely how it's shot and then like at the end of the scene you see him and he's just snoring and you're like you literally oh. yeah he's, he's literally snoring <laughs> yeah you're like, oh, okay he didn't he didn't murder him though it did it's a kid's show <laughs> very For much sure. i mean lots of people get murked in this episode though in yes this they do they get shot <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the name of revolution scott yeah, or <laughs> France. My my would have been awesome if about... he had said for France when he backed. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing about this this situation that the doctor finds himself in is that it's his fault to begin yes. with because he like stops 100%. to rest and then he like insults the guy that's like making these prisoners work and the guy's just like, hey, well. You got any money? No? Okay, you can't pay your taxes. You gotta you gotta work too. Like he was just gonna let the doctor go, but the doctor was just like, Hey, why don't you like get off your ass and help these people? And he's just like, No. Um <laughs> so, like he insults it's... him and then has to do labor and then like almost kills a guy to get out of it. And then just keeps on walking. Yeah. <laughs> Five miles to Paris, the sign says. Yeah, I mean, this is it's a it's it's a really like silly sequence, but it's it sort of paints a a larger problem with this story for me for the pacing of it, which is just like Mm -hmm. this story has no business being six episodes. And this is exactly why, like, we just have this cutaway of him dealing with this situation that never like comes back around through the rest of the story. Right. It's not like you know, he runs into this chain gang leader again or any of the other prisoners that he helped release or any of that, right? None of Mm -hmm. these guys come back. So it's just like, we need to give him something to do in this episode so that he doesn't get to Paris until the end of it. Um, Right. And that's, and that's, it's just, you're just stretching the story out for no reason. It just feels very artificial to me. That's not it's to like, say that this wasn't a fun watch. This, this it's, that, that you know section. what I'm. I'm just now. You know, I I watched this over the course of two nights. Yeah. So mm. I watched one through three at night, and then this morning I watched four, five, six, and I enjoy. I was riveted by four, five, and six a lot more than one, two, and three. Mm. And I remember feeling a lot of the thoughts that, or thinking a lot of the things that y'all two were talking about, which is I was a little bit bored and disengaged. I wasn't really moved by or riveted by the characters yet and then maybe it was just the difference between like it being the morning and having my tea or whatever yeah but i was like oh wait a second so-and-so betrayed so-and-so <laughs> <laughs> what will this mean for france <laughs> oh man um yeah and then and then susan and barbara are taken to the gu- guillotine i mean that's mm-hmm uh, an important it. character we meet in this episode, I would say plot-wise, is the jailer. Sure. <laughs> yeah. He reminds me of, like, a Princess Bride character. Mm. Like, he's just very silly, this guy. Yeah. He's he's a he's a doofus. Um, very gullible. Yeah, he's just, he's very much just, like, tossed between the sides as a patsy. Just whoever yeah. can bribe him next. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, so the I looked up the the writer of this Dennis Spooner because I wanted to know if 
if he wrote any other stories because after oh. like being made to write a historical um <laughs> so i think it's i think it's funny that the one of the other stories that he does write in doctor who for the first doctor is the romans which is another historical um but that one right. is um it's like a comedy so like there are right. a lot of characters that are like the jailer in the romans yeah. um mm-hmm. i like the romans a lot more than this story um <laughs> yeah. so i think it's like it's kind of interesting to me like where he kind of like maybe he's like oh i like that jailer guy maybe i'll just bring him back or not him but some like you know a character mm, with that type. same kind of temperament yeah. <laughs> yeah that's interesting oh and also something just to bring up like just for the aid of our conversation later something that happens in this one is ian is in his jail jail, jail cell he meets the british guy that's been living in France aiding the revolution and right before he dies he sell, he tells Ian to find James Sterling. Yes. Yeah. Right. Another Englishman who's been living in Paris. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um you're right but that then, is yeah. important. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it ends with Ian like seeing the girls like carted away to the guillotine. Right. Um which is interesting because the cart that they're put in, they, they do not have like chains. They're not in chains. They're just put in the back of like the equivalent of a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, stay here. <laughs> we, we find out later that Susan is sick. But my first note for this episode is it looked like Susan was taking a nap on the way to the guillotine. Yes. <laughs> Because she's yes. just kind of like kneeling on a post. Yes. <laughs> the Reign of Terror, Part 3, A Change of Identity. Written by Dennis Spooner, directed by John Gorey. Produced by Verity Lambert. Air date, 22nd of August, 1964. The wagon carrying Susan and Barbara halts temporarily to change horses. Barbara suggests that they could use this opportunity to run, but Susan has too much of a headache to escape getting their heads cut off. Luckily for them, their transport is hijacked by two counter-revolutionaries named Jules and Jean, who kill the guards and escape with Susan and Barbara back to their safe house. There, Susan and Barbara tell them about the farmhouse being burned down and their cohorts being killed by soldiers. Jean and Jules speculate that there must be a traitor in their midst who is giving away the locations of their safe house. At that exact moment, another counter-revolutionary arrives named Leon Colbert, who is definitely not the spy. Back at the prison, the jailer is called away while serving food to the inmates and in his rush, leaves his set of keys in the lock to Ian's cell because he's an idiot. While the guard is gone, Ian removes the key to his cell and replaces it in the lock with another key on the ring. When the jailer returns, he thinks he got away with his forgetfulness and then gets drunk. Ian takes this opportunity to sneak out of the prison, unaware that LaMatra is following him to determine whether Webster had said anything about Sterling to Ian before he died. Meanwhile, the doctor arrives in Paris and visits a clothing shop where he convinces the shopkeeper to trade all of his clothes, including his ring, for the clothes of a regional officer of the provinces. In his new guise, the doctor forces his way into the prison to help his companions, but is informed by the jailer that all three have gone. The doctor ascertains what has happened to his friends and is about to leave when Lamatra insists he accompany the doctor to report on his province 
and they leave. Just then, the shopkeeper arrives to speak to Lamatra. He has proof of a traitor and displays the doctor's ring. So, episode three, um, we get a few things. Uh, the jailer leaves his keys in a cell door. Um, after after like feeding people lunch, he like just leaves the keys because he can't get it out fast enough to like go talk to his boss who's like calling him from the other room. So he like mm-hmm. kind of like panics and just like leaves the keys. Um, and Ian takes the keys out, takes the key for his cell off the ring and then puts the key back in the, in the keyhole. Um, sneaky, sneaky Ian. So that's lucky. Uh, and then (laughs) I am curious if he eats his slop or not, but like, did he, after that, did he's like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm here. So he just like eats the food too. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then we get the thing that really annoys me, uh, which is that. So, so they're the horse pulling the cart that Susan and Barbara are on throws a shoe. And so they're stuck there and all of the soldiers are distracted by the horse thing. And so Barbara's like, all right, now's our chance, Susan, let's run for it. So we don't get our heads chopped off. And mm-hmm. Susan's like, mm, but I have a backache and a headache. So I can't, I think I'd rather just stay here and get my head chopped off. So what <laughs> I, I, I agree with your sentiment that this is ultimately like weak, like not the best story, like plot wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like she had been, they had been like for some reason trying to just dig their way to freedom for all of episode two. Yeah. And like had been chipping away at raw rock. And there's like a whole scene where they're both like, but both of our hands are so blistered and they're already like tired. And she's, we find out later she's coming down with like the chills. Uh huh. And mm-hmm. so, like, that's like the plot reason why she doesn't want to leave. But, like, that's not the strong, you know, that's not the best reason. You know? Yeah. I, unless she's <laughs> literally unconscious, there mm-hmm. is no world at which I don't care how sick I am, if I'm being taken to the guillotine. I'm gonna run for it, like any chance that I can. Right? But she's just like, ah, maybe it's for the best. I don't know. I'm pretty sick. I'm tired, Susan. I'm tired. I know I don't look it, but <laughs> and, and, and there... then the, the worst is that Barbara is just like, yeah, you're right. Okay, we'll just stay. And I'm like, what? Throw her over your shoulder and run. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, because Barbara carried her in the previous episode, like lifted her off of the floor, like two feet up into the air. Barbara yeah. is swole. She could like... Yeah. This is so yeah. silly. She also uh, lifts Susan up for her to like check out the window yeah. herself. Yeah. 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 There's also another prisoner in the back of the the horse-drawn pickup truck with them, and uh, he is just watching their exchange of just like you really like he's just is looking like really you're not you're not gonna run for it I I'm gonna run for it if you don't run for it like he just has this look on his face like why are you guys even talking about this get out of here let's go uh. It's, it's good. <laughs> um, 
So they end up being saved by uh, two rebels who, like, kill the soldiers um, after the horse is taken away, which is so funny. They have this cart, and then the cart is just, like, left there in the middle of the road because the horse threw a shoe. The horse is taken away, and then presumably someone else is going to eventually bring them another horse so they can continue on their way to the guillotine. But it's just, like, this is a lot of rigmarole. I mean, you could just walk, like, just put guns in their backs. And force them to walk to the guillotine. I don't understand why oh. we have to have this whole cart situation. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like a lot of extra steps to me. I don't know. <laughs> like, is it is in it... a neighboring town? Like, why? I don't. No, I just they're don't in understand. Paris. Yeah. So, like, what is the what is the cart situation? I don't know. Why do we? This is so silly. Um. Anyway, like, would they be worried about exhausting them? What does that matter? Their heads are going to be chopped off. Yeah. Yeah. Time? Is it a timing thing? Well, we have like eight a day. Yeah. You know, we really need to keep their blood pressure down because we don't want blood to spray all over the audience. So, you know. Well, there were like three. There there were like hundreds happening when all was said and done. So, yeah. I'd Mm -hmm. say maybe there were just like it was a screen time issue where it's like we need we need to have like the next batch ready to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, back at the jail, yes, Ian uses his secret key and escapes and fights the jailer. Um, and then and then gets out of there. That's true. He hits the jailer. Yeah. <laughs> until the jailer is unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Ian doesn't pull his punches. Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> um. And then meanwhile, the doctor has arrived in Paris. He goes to a shop and he's like, I need new clothes. I need new, new kicks. Um, and uh, he doesn't have any money. So he's going to trade his current outfit, including his ring, for a new outfit that this guy just happens to have like, like, uh, like fancy clothes that are like also double as credentials for like, it's like a uniform. Or something, Cass. This felt very much like an RPG move. Yes, yeah. I'm gonna roll bluff. Oh, twenty. Oh, nice. Like, I have an outfit that would get you into the prison right here. <laughs> so yeah, oh, he man. he like barters for a new outfit and like a medal that like places him as like a, a regional. Uh, government body and he also gets like parchment so he like forges his paper mm-hmm. and then it's just like walking around in this stupid feathered hat Ugh. I I really I really hope I hope 14 uh, we I, I want a doctor who disguises themselves again mm. Mm. yeah and like creates characters besides like the psychic paper but you know really puts effort into it hmm I would, I would like that. Yeah, that would. Be um, I, I had a continuity question for both of you because I, the idea that he is bartering his clothes and maybe doesn't get them back, and like, I'm so I have like questions like, does he get his old clothes back, and or is does he have like a new outfit in season two? Because do they do the continuity of like, oh yeah, he traded his outfit, he needs to get new clothes. I don't remember. Um, I'm pulling up. 
Planet of the Giants right now, which is because I would be impressed story. if they if they did that much continuity. Um, no, it appears that he's just wearing his regular outfit again. Well, he's wearing a cape now. <laughs> he went, he went back. Oh, cool. Oh, the cape. Yeah, yeah. He's got a cape. I've seen pictures of the cape. I like that he went back and punched a hole in the door and like opened it and went back <laughs> and stole his clothes. Yeah, yeah. It appears that he's wearing a cape. It does seem like. He's wearing a similar outfit, but it is different. It is it cool. is not exactly the same, um, oh, but yeah. it's the same style. So, actually, know. because of the the plot, I could see why he would get his clothes back. Actually, because oh, interesting. I, I know we're not talking about it yet, but the guy that helps them out at the end ends up with the clothes. Right. 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 So. Oh, cool. right. Yeah. Well, in any event, he does wear a cape. Yeah, the cape Planet is of the Giants. sick. <laughs> yeah. Do either of you know the significance of the ring? Do we know what the ring is yet? Or is it just, just a ring? A that ring he that he has. Yeah. I just feel like now that would be retconned into like, oh, that has like the Gallifreyan codex. Right? And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it does. <laughs> cool. Um,. So the rebels uh, realize that they're like, where did you, they're like asking, like um, they're asking uh, Barbara, like, where did you guys come from? And she's like, Oh, I came from this farmhouse here on this map. And they're like, that's our safe house. If the soldiers found you at that safe house, that means we have a traitor who's telling them like the locations of our safe houses. Um, So that sucks. We we got to get to the bottom of that. <laughs> um, There's a so more. that's so that's going on, and then the doctor goes to the jail as his uh, in his new regional officer. A great uh, reveal. Yeah, I gasped. He's <laughs> got like a Dracula medallion. Um, <laughs> it's almost like it's meant to intimidate. The jailer, you know, like, well, this guy has to be important. Look, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's fun. And then the shopkeeper, um, meets up with, uh, what is this guy's name? I know what his real name is, but like, what's right. his fake name? Um, it annoyed me because they called him Citizen more than anything, so my brain Lamatra? remembered him as Citizen. Yeah, I think you're Lamatra? right, Lamatra. Yeah. LaMatra. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so LaMatra comes mm-hmm. and uh uh who is like another like kind of important somebody. And um the shopkeeper is like, "Hey, I need to talk to like whoever's in charge." So LaMatra goes and talks to him and he's like, "I have to tell you that you have a traitor in your midst and I have the proof." And he shows him the ring. The ring, however, is not proof of him being a traitor. <laughs> it's just proof that he has spoken to someone that he thinks is a traitor, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I really like this moment. I, I liked this as an episode out because it was like, oh, that dude was clocked the doctor from the get-go. Mm. Like, right. He's like, this dude's full of crap. He wanted to buy. <laughs> he wanted. He's going to forge. He asked for pen and parchment. <laughs> Clothes that would get him into government places. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And it kind of it, it builds it fleshes the world of of this like historical drama like espionage out where like you can't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
everyone is so doubtful and suspicious of everyone that they encounter. And then the story constantly gives us reasons to reinforce why they're completely rational for being that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the guillotine, you know, yeah. like <laughs> any yeah. kind of like, oh, you knew something and didn't tell somebody guillotined mm-hmm. or, um, you know or you even didn't like as, know some but something but told somebody yeah. guillotined like it's just like yeah. every little even, thing so as funny as it is even the like the, the the chain gang encounter is an example of really quickly the doctor goes from being able to chum around with this guy to literally being held captive and denied freedom right. in like the blink of an eye and right. like yeah this is the world where alliances are constantly like shifting around and nobody can trust anybody right right yeah um, yeah, I think I like talking about this story more than I liked watching it. Uh, that's fair. So, yeah, I can empathize with like you, not, with either of you, like not being super engaged by like a bunch of similar looking sounding characters standing in a room together. <laughs> yeah. The thing that yeah. you said earlier about the studio being narrow, though, like makes so much sense because like <laughs> there's that scene in, in episode one where Ian and Barbara are talking and there's like they're like two inches away from each other's faces like and they're just like uh-huh. having a conversation. And I'm just like, why are they standing so close? <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, sexual tension, Cass. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, no. And then like the guy <laughs> who's dying in the jail cell with Ian is just like he like grabs oh. him and <laughs> he's like even closer. And I'm just like, what is happening? Sexual tension, Cass. <laughs> uh, uh, another, another really tight corridor moment was um, the guy whose name we just learned and then I forgot it. Uh, he sees Lamatra. Lamatra. He sees Ian leave the prison. He goes, "We shall see if you're delivering a message to James Sterling. We shall see." And he's like. Like standing next to a wall, you can kind of see like the edge, like right by his nose. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, very weird, oddly sh- odd shaped building for a studio to place a studio <laughs> inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're gonna film things here. We're gonna build sets in this narrow hallway. Very strange. <laughs> The Reign of Terror, Part 4, The Tyrant of France, written by Dennis Spooner, directed by Henrik Hirsch, produced by Verity Lambert, air date 29th of August, 1964. Lamatra takes the doctor to Robespierre, who is a total psycho and constantly talks about increasing the pace of execution. Little the doctor can say to the contrary seems to have any sway, but by the end of the meeting, he seems to respect the doctor in his own way and asks him to return to hang out tomorrow. The doctor and Lamatra return to jail, where the doctor tries to make excuses and leave, but is eventually forced into staying. Lamatra returns to his quarters to find the shopkeeper there, who informs him that the doctor is a fraud. Back at the rubble house, Susan is still unwell, so Leon takes it upon himself to find a physician for her. On their arriving at the physician's, he seems suspicious but willing to treat Susan. He leaves to get some supplies, and when a suspicious Susan tries to leave, they discover that they have been locked in the room. The physician is a spy and has informed the soldiers of Barbara and Susan's whereabouts. Before they know what has happened, they have been rearrested and taken back to prison. Knowing full well the connections between his guests, Lamatra summons the doctor to interrogate Barbara only to eavesdrop on their conversation. Meanwhile, 
Jules and Jean are checking out one of their hideouts and are shocked to see someone there. They attack him, only to discover that it's actually Ian, who says that he was told to wait there for Jules in order to find the whereabouts of James Sterling. Jules has no idea who that is, but believes Leon may know and arranges Ian to meet him in an abandoned church. Upon arriving, however, Ian is surrounded by soldiers as Leon tells him he's walked right into a trap. Not a lot happens in episode four, right? Like, <laughs> Not really. We meet Robespierre, um, right. who mm-hmm. is an absolute maniac, who is yes. like... <laughs> Is like a cat, like like a like a evil capitalist. If capitalism, instead of instead of uh uh you know uh, taking advantage of the underclass, just executed people via guillotine. Um, so he just is like, no, the problem with society today is we're not executing enough people. Like this guy is. <laughs> A, a maniac. <laughs> he uh, he reminded me of like the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because his whole thing is like, we need to raise the amount of executions that we're capable of doing daily. We need to automate this. We gotta, we gotta be, we gotta get, make it faster. <laughs> you know, it, it's like it's literally he's just like like a like a capitalist like out of factory. Where he's like, we have to replace all of these humans with robots so that all of this moves faster but he's talking about executing people instead of creating product it's it's very much like he's like isolated he's in his gilded room by himself and he's just so paranoid and just hears whispers of revolution from every corner and so he's just like it's easier if just everyone is is guillotined yeah Mm -hmm. man it's pretty crazy um (laughs) So yeah, so this is the uh, this is also we get like an extended scene in this where the shopkeeper is tattling on the doctor, um, right to uh, Lamatra takes a bribe, right? Um, so there you got that going on. Uh, Ian and Barbara are reunited after Ian gets back from vacation. um but yeah they like find him in the safe house and they like attack him the the you know barbara's new friends and then barbara's like they knock him out yeah this is ian this is the guy i was telling you about they're like oh well we'll pop some champagne then sorry about the bump on your noggin and ian's like no problem friends because because ian ian was asking about uh one of the rebels by name because of because of the guy that he met in prison that was like get this message to this yeah. guy, to to Sterling, and um, you can find him via this guy. Who Barbara yeah, he's like, there's out. a guy, there's a guy you got to talk to. I think that was Jean Leon, who was like uh... th- this. Like this guy will totally know who James Sterling is because he knows who everyone is, and he's the guy that he's one of the two guys that that rescued Susan and Barbara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan, I don't think this is when she really like is absent for i think she might not even be in this story they'll like barbara like oh yeah she's upstairs or she's still sleeping or she's sick well they take her to that that doctor and she's in that scene but yeah she's not in Mm -hmm. most of it um okay is is the physician scene in this episode yeah the physician scene is in this episode okay um okay where the physician is a spy um and is like like (laughs) says like oh yeah I so do you know what's wrong with her? Oh yeah, she just needs to have some bloodletting going on. I'm gonna go get some leeches, 
Um, <laughs> and we'll just we'll we'll take care of that lickety split. And they're just like, "What the fuck? What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, the and the doctor totally locks them in, and they're like, "Oh, well, crap." Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I like the uh there's oh, the, this is when we get the dialogue between I think we this is the episode where we get the dialogue between Ian and the Jean Leon where it's like I don't know who James Sterling is mm-hmm. and he goes, "Oh." Like, okay. I don't know why I assumed you would. <laughs> but you <laughs> Probably cuz a dying man told me your name, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't is is Leon Leon's the guy that was hitting on Barbara in the last episode, and he's like. The, then there's like um. Uh, I think, the one that Ian is talking to is, Jules, and then there's a random one named Jean. Mm-hmm. Um. Not to be confused we... with Jean Pierre, the little boy. Who right. Right. <laughs> Good old Jean Pierre. Hope he's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's the doctor doing during this episode? I feel um, like he's just doctor, puttering around. <laughs> he's he's he he goes back and forth from the jail a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. He gets questioned. He's laying the groundwork. Yeah. He gets questioned, and then he like, you know. Is this the one where he like bops the the guy on the back of the head? I don't. I uh, I made a note here that there were at least two times in this episode where I thought the jailer had been murdered, but he was just passed out from drinking. Yes. Oh no, the doctor. The doctor goes with Lamatra to speak to Robespierre, and then he like insults Robespierre, and then it feeds yes. into his paranoia, and then they like. He takes him back to the jail. Right. And he's like, well, I'll, I want to question you tomorrow. So, like, you have to stay here. And that's what he's doing. Mm, yeah. But also, Robespierre, like, l- kind of loves the doctor. He's like, I like your honesty. <laughs> like, he's kind of <laughs> like, he's like, I like the cut this of your guy. jib. Um, I don't yeah. agree with anything that you're saying, but I like that you're saying it. Uh, <laughs> no guillotine today. <laughs> yeah. That's a very weird, weird opinion of the doctor. He's just, like, really into his honesty. I don't know. It's like Mank. Yeah. Because, um, like, there's a guy in the room who's, like, telling him to shut up. And he's mm-hmm. like, and Robespierre's like, no, 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 let him talk. He's just looking out for me. He's letting me know of the things that I should be aware of. Um, and, I, and I'm just like, wow. He's, yeah. he's not like the other girls. <laughs> yeah. um, he's honest. And then Ian goes to meet Leon. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then like a bunch of shoulder sh- soldiers are there to like, uh, trap Ian. Yeah. Um, I'm the spy. Yeah. He's like, you fell right into my trap. I'm like, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, there are two betrayals in this episode. Two betrayals. Um, yes. Simple bloodletting. That's what this, that's what this episode should have been called. <laughs> instead of instead of the tyrant of France, it should have been called a simple bloodletting. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask both of you because you know there are like large gaps between us watching, you know, going back to, to this era. Um, mm-hmm. 
does Susan usually kind of get the brunt of these kind of stories where like, she's, it feels like Susan's always like, Hey, we're going to, you're sick or you have to stay in jail or you have to stay with Attila the Hun while like <laughs> the rest, <laughs> the rest of us like go out and have an adventure. Or am I misremembering that? Do you think? I feel like a lot of the times um, they don't really like the writer of the story doesn't really know what to do with Susan. Um, So mm-hmm. I think that, they they like relegate her to like damsel in distress mode. Yeah. Um the thing cuz she's she's kind of like the plot for for the doctor and Barbara and Ian is like we are just trying to get Susan or free Susan or find Susan so we can go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. The Reign of Terror Part 5: A Bargain of Necessity. Written by Dennis Spooner, directed by Henry Kirsch, produced by Verity Lambert, air date 5th of September, 1964. At the prison, Lamatra overhears Barbara whisper the address of Jules' safe house to the doctor during his fake interrogation. Once Lamatra has gone, the doctor convinces the jailer that the only way to get information about the counter-revolution's protection ring is to allow Barbara to walk free and follow her to her rebel alliances. The jailer agrees, but when the doctor attempts to trick the jailer again for Susan's sake, he fails. Instead, he works out an alternate escape plan that involves Susan pretending to escape and the doctor hitting the jailer over the head when he investigates her cell. But as they escape, they are confronted by Lamatra, who reveals to the doctor that he has been made aware of his duplicity and forces him to accompany Lamatra to the safe house by threatening Susan's life. Meanwhile, Jules goes in search of Leanne at the church, where he set the meeting between Ian and Leon, where he finds Ian being held captive. Realizing Leon must be the spy, Jules kills him and helps Ian escape. Together, they return to the safe house and are surprised to see Barbara, who has escaped prison and informs them that a doctor has infiltrated the prison and released her. Ian is overjoyed that this mess might be over soon, but Barbara is very upset to learn that Leon was the spy and has been killed. Barbara, Ian, and Jules are waiting anxiously for the doctor, but are shocked when he finally arrives, not with Susan in tow, but with La Matra. Has the doctor betrayed them? Leon is wants to question Ian. He wants to get information about the protection ring um, that La Matra, no, not La Matra. I mean, sort of La Matra, but uh, the other guys. Uh, <laughs> they're all this, they're, it's uh, all Jules? Yes, Jules and Jean. <laughs> yeah, Jules and Jean are in charge of this, like, protection ring with the safe houses and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But Ian doesn't know anything because he's not from around here. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, you don't tell me the truth. And then Ian's like, really? You want me to tell you the truth? <laughs> okay. Um, and then 1963. I'm from, I came out of a box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then Jules finds Ian and like kills everybody, including Leon, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, saves Ian um, and comes back. I like the part where Ian is Ian's manacled. He's like shackled, but he's able to like do a double kick on a dude's back. Yeah. I he's that like was an action cool. hero. He is. Yeah. I love it when they do this with him. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's pretty great. Um but yeah, so he uh, he he kills his captors and and they escape and then they they go and they tell Barbara what happened and Barbara's like really upset that they killed Leon because um, yeah because Leon like, was the hot one she was talking to <laughs> yeah she was like I was gonna bone down with him man <laughs> um 
<laughs> he was French. Uh, <laughs> 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 so, uh, meanwhile, um, the doctor... So, the only reason they're able to tell Barbara is because the doctor convinces the jailer to, like, let Barbara go. And she'll be like, yeah. And then, you know, we just follow her. Because she'll go back to, like, the safe house. And we'll be able to find the safe house. And, uh, you know, tell uh, the old French government uh, where all this mm-hmm. business is taken care of. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's let her go. And we'll we'll follow her. Yeah. But then, like, no one follows her. So, she just goes. <laughs> and then the doctor's like. Hey, so uh, where did Barbara end up going? And he's like, "What? Well, I thought you were following her. And he's like, no, I thought you were following her. <laughs> he's like, well, we better let Susan go, too, and try to do the same thing. Um, <laughs> Just makes a series of high deception rolls against this guy. Yeah. But the jailer is always like, he he's a real uh, fool me once. <laughs> yes. <laughs> type Fair guy. enough. Yeah. yeah. He never falls for the same trick twice, but the doctor always tries it twice every time. He he, it he never once. falls for the yes. He never falls for the same trick twice, but he will always fall for a new trick. Yes, one hundred percent. Um. So, uh, then the doctor executes an escape plan for Susan, where he has Susan like hide behind the door so that you can't see her through the window. And then says, oh, my God, she's escaped. And the jailer comes running in and then he bashes him over the head and is like, all right, let's get out of here. God. <laughs> Classic doctor. Oh, doctor. man. <laughs> do, you, do you think I, you know, I, I don't know offhand, but do you think the doctor has ever used this technique to get somebody out of jail? Like again, in, in over the course of the show, it feels like something I've seen. This, There's not, please. This feels like something Pertwee would do, but yes. instead of like using a bottle, it's just the Venusian Aikido. Like he just chops him in the back of the neck. Right. I was just about to say there. I think one and three are like the only doctors that I can imagine, like knocking a dude out or punching someone in the face, like. I can't really picture a lot of them being yeah. violent. Yeah. Two Have we two might like like avoid somebody fighting him and then get, he'll, he'll get yeah, get them to like accidentally like knock themselves out. Like he could do something like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> He'd be like, Oh dear. Oh well. <laughs> Have we watched the the fourth doctor story where he like twists a guy's neck? Yet I don't I I don't remember what story that's in, but I know it's for. Yeah, MacGruber rips a dude's throat. Yeah, out. no, I don't yeah, think it we're, looks like he like snaps his neck. Yeah, I don't think we're quite there. I think that's I think that's um, is that Seeds of Death? Yeah, maybe okay. it might be. Okay. I know I know it's I know it's for, and I know he's running across like a manor yard because he like snaps a guy's neck and it's just like oops he's gonna be asleep and then just keeps going <laughs> yes asleep forever <laughs> canonically his first murder <laughs> oh man so anyway the doctor and susan they're like on their way out and they bump into lamatra who forces the doctor to yes. take him to the safe house and then the the and then we get the scene that uh that i enjoyed because it was a little bit, I can't remember another scene like this where uh, 
Ian is very like, well, he got what he deserved. He was a mole. He was a traitor. And Barbara's like, listen to yourself, dude. Like we like he to like the other side. He's a patriot. Like this is just a circle. It's the reign of terror, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Why are you taking sides during the reign of terror? And he's like, I don't know. I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, it's Barbara, I think it is Barbara that says, like, I'm so sick of death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's a cool line for, like, your season finale. Yeah. Because this hasn't been, like, an overtly violent season, but I'm sure if we go back through this first season, there's been, like, a few fatalities of Barbara's scene. Yeah. Didn't they witness, like, didn't they witness, like, the first murder in, like, the caveman episode? Yeah, I think yeah, and then like the Daleks. That does something to you. Yeah. They like invented then, murder. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, the Daleks. I mean, yeah, they they kill all kinds of people. Um, and then they killed um, the Dalek. Then, remember? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. So. And I guess like a lot of people died in like the censorites last time. I don't remember, but. <clears throat> I'd be sick of death too. Like <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then they're inter- interrupted by the doctor. Right? Yeah. And the cliffhanger is like, the doctor? Betrayer? What? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. Talk- Tune in next Saturday. The Reign of Terror, Part 6. Prisoners of Conciergerie. Written by Dennis Spooner. Directed by Henrik Hirsch. Produced by Verity Lambert. Air date, 12th of September, 1964. LaMatra reveals that he has been orchestrating the release and recapture of the Doctor's companions since the beginning. When Ian questions why he would do this, LaMatra reveals he is, in fact, James Sterling. Sterling was placed deep undercover and was supposed to intercept Webster at the prison, but he was too late. Ian relays Webster's message that Sterling should return to England immediately. The spy agrees, but presses Ian for more details on Webster's last hours. Initially, Ian can't remember any details, but when Sterling begins to talk about the fact that he was called to follow Barris for Robespierre, Ian recalls the words Barris meeting and the sinking ship. Sterling recalls that this is the name of an inn, and they realize that this is where the conspiracy against the first deputy will take place. It is decided that Jules, Ian, and Barbara will be placed there undercover in order to gain information from the meeting. Jules, disguised as a guest, and Ian and Barbara, disguised as landlord and serving woman, are undercover at the inn. When Barris appears, he seems unsure at first, but soon warms to the place. Eventually, a young man enters who turns out to be Napoleon Bonaparte. Barris seeks to persuade the young general to take the mantle of leadership after the overthrow of Robespierre. Napoleon urges Barris to topple Robespierre, but warns him that if this fails to happen, he will deny this meeting ever took place. While this is happening, the doctor reaches the prison where he convinces the jailer that Lamatra has been captured as a traitor and that the jailer is an associate of his and will soon be thrown into prison himself. However, he says that he will be lenient if the jailer clears the prison in preparation for the huge influx of traitors that will obviously be brought in, ensuring that Susan is freed. As the doctor and Susan make their escape, Robespierre is brought in as a prisoner. The coup against him has been successful, his rule has ended, and soon he will be guillotined himself. After saying their goodbyes, the doctor and his companions return to the TARDIS in the woods near Paris, reflecting on another brush with history and their role within it.
then number six uh, starts with LaMatra revealing that he is, in fact, James Sterling and has arranged the release and recapture of them since episode one. Yes. He's he's at one point <laughs> he tells Ian he was the one who left the keys in the door for for Ian to find. Right. Um, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. He was the architect of their pain. And the liber- <laughs> and the liberation, yes, or liberation. <laughs> uh, and then the doctor or Ian tries to remember like what the dying Englishman in the cell said, and he was like, "Ah, well, a bunch of just stupid stuff. I wasn't listening." Uh, and at, at one point, it's like, "Oh yeah, he said like this name and the sinking ship, or I guess the sinking ship." And right. It's like, oh, that's a bar everyone goes to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow they disguise themselves as innkeepers at this bar. Well, they they knock out the innkeeper. Oh, right. And lock them in the basement. <laughs> right. And then they get then to play dress over. up. Ian <laughs> yeah. and Barbara. Oh, did um, <laughs> I mean, did either of you were, you were you entertained or impressed by the the reveal? Of who uh the the Napoleon reveal? Oh, that was insane. That was crazy. That... I, I I meant the like, you know, who James Sterling turned out to be. Oh. Not it, really. Did it barely register like who that yeah. was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It didn't do much for me. And I was no. like, this doesn't make any sense that <laughs> you're like orchestrating them getting captured and released and captured again. Like I don't know why you did that. Um but but yeah, the Napoleon yeah. Re- reveal is it was great. I I think it is really telling uh that Ian appears to be like a Napoleon super fan because not only does he recognize Napoleon's face on sight. On sight. He like sees him and he's like that's Napoleon. Um but also like later He's just like, ah, I wish I could have told Napoleon about all the things that he could avoid. And I'm like, are you, wait, are you on Napoleon's side? <laughs> was that you think type... Napoleon is the good guy in this situation? Was that a type of guy in the 60s? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but he was like real we revved learned... up for Napoleon. Um we learned two important things about our Barbara and Ian. Barbara's a communist, and Ian is a, uh, a fascist? military fascist. Yeah. <laughs> Can I make it any more obvious? <laughs> uh... This is and uh, this is interesting to me. You know, the doctor is so like, whatever, it's their problem. Let them shit in their own bed. I don't care. Let's get out of here. Like. Knowing that in the future, the doctor does kind of take more of like a moral responsibility to mm-hmm. be either one way or the other, because yeah, they do vacillate, but the doctor's like passivity in this one was just like, kind of like, oh wow, he's just like ready to bounce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, so this meeting between Barris and Napoleon uh, is about how Barris is like, hey, Napoleon, I know you've never thought about leading before, 
Uh, but maybe <laughs> like you should lead France. That would be cool, right? And Napoleon's like Napoleon Bonaparte, leader of France. I like the has sound a nice of that. ring to it. Yeah, I like the sound of that. <laughs> it's just. I liked how multiple people were like Napoleon, that little nerd. He's gonna rule France. Like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> no one. Loves um. Him. I. I kind of wish the story had more of the silly, like, espionage stuff, like, that Barbara and Ian are doing. Yes. For sure. Um, it It's a shame that they're... It's just like... Oh, no, please. Oh, I was... It's, instead, it's just, like, running back and forth from the prison and, like, really, like, <laughs> wheel spinny. Right. Yeah. They're apart for so much of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I will. I mean, and that's a side effect of like Ian taking a vacation, a two week vacation. Um, but it's kind of like you uh, said earlier, Scott, where it is kind of just like a circle of them getting captured and recaptured and going back and forth between like three locations. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm with Cass. I, I think, I think this is probably the best episode of this. And I think it's for that reason of like, there's like fun espionage, like silliness. And I wish the whole story was loaded with that. I think that that would be mm -hmm. awesome. I mean, there's a little bit more of it because you get like the doctor, like pretending to be a, a, a big important man. Um, but, <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, that's it. It's like you get him being pretending to be a big important man. And then you get this innkeeper scene and that's kind of it. I wish that there was like, mm -hmm all of the machinations were like built around like espionage, like set pieces. I think that would be, that would be a lot of fun. I think. Yeah. Cause like there is this, there is this really cool scene. I think it might've even been in the previous episode, but it's Barbara and the doctor in a jail cell together. And mm -hmm. they don't, they don't know that they're being spied upon because everyone is always spying on someone. And Barbara's like, look, like Ian's, drank the kool-aid or something but like look like you and me <laughs> like we got to get over on all these guys it's like we 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 have to get susan we got to get out of here and like it would have been cool like you said scott if it had kind of played more on all the stuff they had learned and mm -hmm. like pulling some big deception thing that kind of like brought it brought it all together yeah yeah i think i think the sterling reveal happens too late because yeah. It's like if that had happened when he was talking to the doctor in like episode, even episode like the previous episode, it'd be like, oh shit. And then, like, you know, yeah. like all the dominoes just start <laughs> falling. But I think it just happens too late in the story. Yeah. Uh, um, this is a kind of story I would love to see pop up in the modern show going forward. Sure. Like a, like a really grounded historical. Mm -hmm. with like a lot of like espionage role play like yeah. character stuff mm -hmm. i would love to see another historical wait didn't we get we got a purely restore historical like one purely historical episode recently right in in the 13th era let's see Could the, you mean like no paranormal no sci-fi yeah wasn't there one and it was like a big deal because it was like the first time in like like 50 or 60 years or something like that. It was like, it was like a really long time. I'm trying to think of like was just... the, was it the Rosa Parks one? 
No, because that had like a bounty, a space bounty hunter in it. Oh, right. Oh, my yeah. God. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, was it was it Witchfinders? Did Witchfinders have? No, it, the Witchfinders ended up. You thought it was magic, but it ended up being an alien in the dirt. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. And the, the wedding one wasn't a historical either. The the one about the the Indian and Pakistani yeah. conflict. Yeah, um, the I think there was also an alien. Yeah, an alien in that too. Okay. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. I feel like there was one because I have like in the recesses of my mind, <laughs> I remember that factoid floating around of like, yeah. oh, this was like the first purely historical episode of Doctor Who in like fifty right. years. Then you um, have... And it wasn't the Mary Shelley one because there was the the, the Cyberman, Cyber <laughs> yeah. And then the one where they went back to the seventies had the Weeping Angels, right? Yeah, I can't think of one. And she hasn't been in a lot of historical episodes. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Um, in any event, Robespierre gets shot in the mouth. Yep. Which is historically accurate to the real guy who also got shot in the mouth and then guillotined. Um, so... That's supposed to be fun. an educational show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, oh, you get that great scene where the doctor convinces the jailer to, like, clear the cells because he's like, listen, you're going to have a lot of traitors coming in here and uh, you're going to need all the room you can get. So let's clear this out because none of these people are real prisoners anymore because there's a new man in charge and his name is Napoleon. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part before that where he's like, he kind of gets the jailer arrested because he's like, you didn't know you were a traitor. You were actually helping this side the whole time. And he's like, please don't. I don't want to get guilty. And the doctor's like, hmm, hmm, let me think. And like, doctor, you're toying with a man's life. Right? Like, uh, you, you've told, you don't care about this conflict. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Um, but do you think he would? Yeah, this we, is his favorite period of history. You would think he would have like a strong opinion about one one part of it. You would think, right? Yeah, yeah. There was no point at which I believed that this was the doctor's favorite. Like he wasn't like nerding out about anything. You sure. know, I wish he had been like a little bit more of a nerd in this. Um, but because I think even yeah. in Girl of the Fireplace, you get some of ten. Like, oh, I know exactly what part of your, you know. Yeah, yeah. He was, like, really excited. Like, you know, I mean, you know, he was an excited nerd about a lot of stuff. Um, True. But. Uh, the Muppet movie. Yeah. I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine the first Doctor, like, being, like, excited about something. And, like, I kind of right. want to see that as a result. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then the uh, the guys in charge, they, like, let them be about their merry way, go back to the TARDIS, and then they're like, they're like, you know, I've got a feeling that they have no idea where they're going next, and that's why they couldn't answer my question. It's like, but at the end of the day, don't we all not know where we're going? And they're like, good point. Anyway. <laughs> See you next season, anyway, maybe. France. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, France. Um. Yeah, and then in the and then in the TARDIS, the Doctor says this whole thing about like their destiny being in the stars, and you get in like the stars. Yeah, you get to see the galaxy, and then credits. Yeah, I think because... it's like, 
our destiny's in the stars. Now let's go out and find it. Yeah. Which very much feels like. I was wondering like, why well. it ended that way. I was wondering why it had the weird voiceover. And then it was just like, oh, they, they, it could have been the last episode of Doctor Who ever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I, I had fun watching this one, but I can totally see why both of you had difficulty like getting engaged by it. Or like, I liked the last game. episode. I liked episode six a lot. Um, it was just, and I liked moments throughout. It was just a lot of rigmarole to like get to like the yeah. fun, the fun scenes. Um, just so many close-ups of people talking and yes. shifty eyes darting about. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Um, so, and like the shots of people's like middles as they were sitting down, like their waists as they were sitting down. Right. Mm -hmm. What was that supposed to mean? I don't know. I don't know. Is that the best way to show you? They don't have heads. That's true. (laughs) Well, speaking of animation, uh, next week, the abominable snowmen which is actively being animated right now, but of course, of course, in in <laughs> typical TDC fashion, uh, we are covering it before, just before that animated version uh, is released. <laughs> slideshow so, city. Yep, we're getting we're gonna get some slideshow stuff, some reconstructions next week, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, go check out our uh, Patreon at duelinggenre.com/support. Become a Patreon supporter. Uh, we, we have some, we've, 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 we've discussed some possibilities for, for, you know, Dr. Who bonus content, um, on, on the, uh, on the Patreon. Um, we've talked about possibly doing like the occasional, like, um, right. We've done like, we did like the, um, the March Madness bracket stuff on the main feed. And we've talked about like doing more of those, but like doing them on Patreon and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. so if that's something that you would be into, Become a Patreon member and then let us know that that you be like, hey, I'm a Patreon member now and I want those bracket <laughs> episodes. And we'll be like, yes, sir, Mr. Patron, sir or ma'am or what's what's Watch. the what, what's the what's the sir ma'am equivalent of of they of gen, of gender they is there one? I don't I don't think there is citizen. We don't citizen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, <laughs> dualinggenre.com, dualinggenre.com, uh, slash support, uh, become a uh, Patreon citizen and, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make some, uh, some TDC bonus content. Um, uh, we've also talked about watching all of Russell T Davies, like shows that he's done since like he left Dr. Who and like, maybe we could do that as Patreon stuff. Um, things like that. So Time Traveler's Wife premieres or is out now, mm-hmm. I guess, of, as of you hearing this. Um, Stephen Moffat's HBO show. So maybe we could talk sex, about that. Sex yeah. education. We could all finally learn how sex works. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll all be <laughs> educated. Um, yeah. So anyway, duelinggenre.com slash support. If any of that sounds interesting, uh, become a Patreon member and let us know. Uh, because uh, that's the only way that we'll know to start making that stuff. Um, Thanks for listening. As always, we will be back next week to talk about the abominable snowmen, a classic episode. I think it's the introduction to the great intelligence, right? Isn't that, I think that's this. Yeah. Um, So 
there you go. Uh, Abominable Snowman next week. None of it exists. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> listening to the episode of us talking about the episode and recapping it is going to not be that much different from just watching the, the reconstructions. Right. So, <laughs> um, bye, everybody.